It has to do with the expression of genes. We know ever since uh, 2003, when the Human Genome Project was completed, we have something called an epigenome. And basically, an epigenome is a chemical tag that sits on our DNA, and it can communicate with the environment, communicates to the DNA through that chemical tag. So how do we develop in the first place? We develop in the first place by how we breathe, how we swallow, and how we chew. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Lin, and welcome to The Mouth-Brain Connection. Have you ever felt that you weren't given the answers that you needed to get your health on track? On this show, I'll take you on a journey through the truth about how to really be healthy. As a practicing dentist, I experienced the same questions as you did, but as a clinician. Ever wondered why dentists are segregated from medical practitioners? It's a strange disconnect we've created in our society, and it means we see oral disease as separate from the rest of the body. Well, in the real world, it doesn't happen like that. Over many years, I've collated patient experiences, clinical techniques, and multidisciplinary approaches looking for the answers you've been searching for. It turns out that the root causes of all dental diseases are the precursors that fuel systemic diseases. The mouth, through cut and dry anatomical nerve connection, blood supply, lymph drainage, and muscle innervation, is the most tightly regulated part of your body. To heal the body, you must align your oral health. On this podcast, I'll be showcasing the best and brightest minds in the world of functional, biological, oral systemic medicine. We'll be sharing with you the practical tips to prevent and reverse dental diseases through nutrition, sleep, and postural correction that heal your mouth and body as one. So let's get started. I'm excited to explore the mouth-brain connection with you. Can you improve your breathing through dental appliance therapy? The problems associated with poor breathing are many. They include jaw joint dysfunction, headaches, teeth clenching and grinding, sleep insomnia, irritable bowel syndrome, lack of alpha and delta wave sleep, mild sleep apnea and, and premature aging. Lack of craniofacial development can be seen in our underdeveloped jaws and these are the symptoms that people suffer when our airways don't work correctly. In nature we see the biological growth of organisms based on the principles of symmetry and balance. You may notice some of these craniofacial dysmorphia symptoms in the facial features if they're out of balance. For example, is one eye lower than the other when you look in the mirror? What about one ear lower than the other? Does the corner of your mouth turn down on one side? Chances are you will notice which side of your face is underdeveloped and aging more rapidly. Dr. Theodore R. Belfort is a graduate of the New York University College of Dentistry and a senior certified instructor of the International Association of Orthodontics. Dr. Belfort has specialized in his patient evaluation system for diagnosis and treatment with the homing block protocol for issues with craniofacial dysmorphia. He has seen great benefits in his patients and has lectured all around the world on how dentists can apply functional therapies to help grow the adult craniofacial system to address the underlying issues that cause sleep and breathing problems. You're going to love this conversation. Dr. Belfort is an old friend and he shares one of the best philosophies I've come across in terms of understanding the deep physiology of why problems happen and then how we truly reverse issues associated with growth and development of the dental arch. Without further ado, here's my talk with Dr. Theodore Belfort. Today I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Theodore Belfort. It's been a while since we talked, but the things that we've been speaking about over the last 
few years have become very topical recently. And I wanted to share with you the journey that, that, that Ted has been on and the really interesting conversation that connects breathing, our jaw, and where it all comes from, where, how our jaws develop and how we, how we suffer from certain issues because potentially we're not breathing right. Dr. Belfort, how have you been? I've been good, thanks. Uh, I've been working in my greenhouse. I just built a support structure for my uh, tomato plants. I'm very, very good, thanks. <laughs> excellent. Keeping healthy, excellent. You look, you look great. Thank you. Now, Ted, I came. I, I met you in New York City. I think it's 2015. Time has gone so fast. Yes. But since then, there's been such a rapid explosion in interest in what you do, and I wanted to take. Um, you know, people, you know, that weren't familiar with your work back to the start as to where it all began. How did you start to begin to look into this whole area of, um, you know, growing the adult palate and how it affects people's breathing and what you're seeing in your patients? Well, well, that's a great question. Um, It's all an accident uh, because so many years ago, I would think maybe 18, 19 years ago, uh, when I was practicing in Manhattan, I was treating a lot of performing artists. And they were saying to me, hey, doc, I've got this one crooked tooth. Can you straighten it? And basically, I had no clue. I had no ortho costs whatsoever. Uh, But in Manhattan, you can get anything uh, that you want. So I I ultimately found an orthodontist who had been practicing orthodontics for 60 years. He was retired. And he never used brackets and wires. He always used removable appliances. So he agreed to come into my office and treat patients. And the deal was he'd teach me what everything he knew. Uh, so we had this appliance that we were straightening teeth for the performers. And they were coming back and saying, the actors were saying, the makeup artist is telling me that my face is changing all the time. And the singers were coming in and saying, I'm reaching higher notes than I ever did since I'm wearing the appliance. So that was the freak of it. And uh, uh, basically, um, I was into the faces at that time. So I took before and after facial photos. And uh, I brought a 10-way U College of Dentistry to the postgraduate ortho department. And they were all whispering Photoshop, Photoshop, because they couldn't believe that I was changing faces. So uh, that started me on my quest almost 20 years ago uh, to learn how this works. It's a fascinating connection, isn't it? Because, you know, as you say, it, you know, it's not something we're immediately, um, you know, drawn to that our teeth affect our face, right? Um, I thought you might, um, you know, kind of lead people through a little bit about the, you know, the basics on how, on how the potential dental issues, you know, affects their, their craniofacial and, and facial development. Just kind of define well, the problem that we're going to talk about. It works like this. Anthropologists are telling us that each generation, our jaws are getting smaller. And because of that, there's less room for our tongue. And because there's less room for our tongue, we have more and more sleep and breathing issues. That's why it's so popular today. It's a pandemic. However, the idea is that we have in our genes better faces, better development. It has to do with the expression of genes. We know ever since... Uh, 2003, when the Human Genome Project was completed, we have something called an epigenome. And basically, an epigenome is a chemical tag that sits on our DNA 
and it can communicate with the environment, communicates to the DNA through that chemical tag. So how do we develop in the first place? We develop in the first place by how we breathe, how we swallow, and how we chew. So basically, putting a dental appliance in the mouth, number one, we replace the missing hard food in the diet with a, a bite block on the uh, second bicuspid and first molar. So when you're wearing that appliance, it, it's just as if you're chewing hard food when you bite down on it. And by the way, when you swallow, the appliance is designed to signal the same way the body receives signal when it's growing, when you're a growing child. And that is, we all know that if we swallow correctly, our tongue goes upstairs up to the palate when we swallow. When that happens, the tongue sends a cyclical signal to the membrane around the tooth, membrane around the roots of the tooth. Every time you swallow, it's a very light force, less than a kilogram, but it's cyclical. And there are mechanoreceptors in the periodontal ligament that talk directly to the DNA. So designing an appliance that provides input that the body understands, the result is expression of genes that have never been expressed before. And by the way, some of us even have Neanderthal genes. So the genes are there. The genes are there for more facial development. And basically, we stimulate the body to self-correct. Absolutely fascinating. I love the way you put it. You know, you, you give us such perspective on what our jaws teach us. And it's a problem that, you know, many, many people suffer today. You know, parents are seeing it in their children and so forth. And we were talking a little bit before about the types of um, treatments out there for, for people. But what are the, what do you see as the main symptoms of, uh, of your patients that are suffering from this, this problem with their, their, their tongue being too big for their airway, their, their breathing apparatus not working at night. What are the symptoms that you see? What, what, what are they describing to you? Well, um, there is a, <clears throat> today, um, diagrammatically, there is the classic male OSA patient. So you have to understand the human tongue, we're designed like this. So here's, uh, <laughs> here's the nose, here's the back of the nose. So when we breathe, when we breathe, the air has to go to the back of the nose, and then make a right turn, <laughs> make a right turn to go down into our lungs. So with our jaws growing smaller and more retruded, when the tongue, the tongue goes back into the airway, it's harder for us to breathe, so the head tips forward. So the head comes forward for us to breathe. So there is a direct link, for example, between a breathing problem uh, craniofacial development, posture, and posture, and all of that is linked to the lack of development. And, and, and let me explain it this way. Oh, well, I'm not answering your question well. Let me answer your question. That's okay. So, uh, this explanation is great. So, no, the point that you asked me, you know, what kind of symptoms are the patients coming in and complaining of? Well, initially, they come in and say that they are tired in the morning. They're not getting a decent night's sleep. So simply enough, when the tongue compromises the airway uh, at night, uh, the brain is aware of the, a, an oxygen law. In other words, when the airway is compromised, we lose a certain amount of oxygen, as little as 2%. Once we have that reduction in oxygen, the hypothalamus of the brain recognizes it, sends a signal to the pituitary, pituitary, sends a signal to the adrenal gland, and we get 
a form of adrenaline in our blood. And the problem there is that's a sympathetic. That puts us in sympathetic mode. We go from deep sleep to light sleep. Our heart rate speeds up. Our blood pressure rises. And we don't get a decent night's sleep. In young people, literally, this kind of problem with the tongue happens continually. We can test a patient with something called high-resolution pulse oximetry, and we look at cycling time, the percent percentage of sleep time that you're fighting for survival, that your body is trying to keep you alive by shooting adrenaline into your blood. And we see folks, 50% of their sleep time, they're fighting for survival. No wonder they feel like feel terrible in the morning. So these are the folks. But also, when we, when we talk to them, we find out that sometimes they have headaches, sometimes they have neck pain. And more and more, I'm getting into the postural element of all of this. So uh, we do some breathing training. Um, I know that's become popular, James Nestor's book, Breath. Uh, but we sp uh, specifically do a training uh, teaching the patient how to breathe, abdominal breathing, how to breathe with that region that's uh, literally below your belly button. And that lowers your diaphragm. Uh, but furthermore, um, we, we uh, teach the patient how to control their exhale. Uh, because when you inhale, that's stress. Literally, when we exhale, that's relaxation. So let's look at it this way. Uh, the average person, the surface area of their body is about uh, 3,000 uh, square inches. And gravity puts 15 pounds per square inch on our body to prevent us from flying off into space. So that means when we breathe in and our lungs are expanding against gravity, we can control that ex exquisitely. We can breathe in as slow as we want. However, breathing out with the force of gravity, we have a tendency to breathe out too rapidly. So we're training our patients to breathe out four times longer than they're breathing in, to breathe out every ounce of air in their lungs so that when they breathe in, they have greater lung capacity. So there is uh, basically uh, you know, a breathing program. There's an appliance therapy. We have five goals. Number one is pressurize the airway, which wears wearing mouth tape at night. Now, just think, when you breathe in through your nose, you can feel the pressure in your airway. But if you breathe in through your mouth, you have no pressure. Pressure in your airway is what develops your airway. I mean, there's, there's tons of literature. So, so basically, number one, we pressurize the airway to depressurize the airway. Number two, we look at the tongue position because the tongue posture and swallowing is critical to how we sleep and how we breathe. Third, we look at the tone of the airway because the American Association for Orthodontics in their white paper on the etiology, the cause of sleep apnea, they clearly state it's the collapsibility of the airway and nobody is really directed towards that. So the airway is a muscular tube and yes, we can tone the airway so it's less collapsible. That improves our, and, and the focus is, by the way, the simplest thing, understanding from the literature, the focus is on the absolute narrowest point in the airway. What the literature says, if you take that narrowest size of your airway and you make it bigger, you will reduce sleep, uh, sleep apnea. So those three. Then there's uh, the fourth thing is the autonomic nervous system. That's with breathing. And the fifth goal is to improve Posture, head posture on the cervical spine. Nobody's looking at that. 
So we have a protocol which I've developed over 20 years that's not just the appliance. It's not about just making the pallet wider. Now, making the pallet wider is a good thing, but it's not the whole story. It makes so much sense, you know, that you're coming at this from a multifactorial you know, kind of perspective, and it really explains how complex you know our head, airway, and our development really is. And you know, every person is different, so everyone kind of experiences it in a different way. And you really kind of have to have every kind of tool in your in your belt if you're going to be able to kind of understand what's really going on. It, it's fascinating. Ted, you mentioned the um, the pre- presentation of the classic male obstructive sleep apnea patient snoring, um, you know, gasping in their sleep, you know may have had a sleep test. What about the people that ha- that don't get that diagnosis? C- can you describe another subset of patients that experience this kind of um, airway dysfunction? Well, I, I actually developed a patient evaluation system that I'm very proud of. And it has to be done with a 3D comb beam scan. So not only do we look at the overnight sleep, uh, but we also look at, as we're talking about, the development. And the idea is that there are several areas that can interfere with our sleep and breathing. So we look at all of them. We look in the nose. We look down the entire airway. We literally, using software developed by the Mayo Clinic, we can literally put an eye into the airway, look down the airway, and look at the collapsibility of the airway. Also, the software will automatically generate the slice, which is the narrowest point of the airway. And we understand that that's the place we're treating. Now, if it's the back of the tongue, the base of the tongue, that's a muscle called the genioglossus muscle. It's the easiest thing to tone. Every time you clench your teeth together, you're contracting that muscle. So we have a daytime appliance. You just wear it a couple of hours during the day, and we say, knock yourself out, clench on it. Because when you clench on it, you're contracting the base of the tongue. This appliance was FDA cleared in 2019 in the U.S. um, for bruxism, TMJ, and headache. And it's a very simple appliance. You use the unilateral bite block technology. So I love that appliance because it's so easy to wear. You can literally wear it for a couple hours a day. You can speak with it, you know, and you can go about your business, particularly folks who are working out. Now, why is it so significant? Now, this is where you're going to hear this for the first time because nobody knows this up until now and nobody's paid attention to it. So here's how the body works. Number one, the brain is what aligns our head. The brain aligns our first cervical vertebrae called atlas. But after that, the jury's out. What do we mean? So we, for the very first time we take a step, the brain has to decide Do we put our weight on the right side and advance our left leg, or do we put our weight on the left side and advance our right leg? Once we do that, that's a neural pathway. The rest of our life, we're using that same side for support. Guess what? That side becomes stronger. The other side becomes weaker. We have a tendency to put our weight on that side, sometimes to shift our head to that same side, uh, you know, basically that you're leaning on. So looking at the cervical spine, we read the cervical spine. If the head is tilted to the weak side, for example, what happens is if you're tight here and you're developed here and your other side is the weak side, what will happen is your head will tilt there, your shoulder will come up, possibly rotate forward for better breathing. So it's the head position is definitely related to your breathing. 
Now, that's where the unilateral blight block comes in. Since, how does the brain know where the head is? And how does it make all these decisions? Well, one of the key elements is when we bring our teeth together. When we bring our teeth together, that's one of the key elements of how the brain knows where the head is on the cervical spine. So if we're misaligned and we put a support on the side that's not being supported, the brain then gets a different uh, set of information and literally aligns the head on the cervical spine. This is reproducible and testable. It works every time with kinesiologic testing. So, for example, let's say I'm a right-sided person. I've been using my right side my whole life, which I have. That side is the strongest side. If I bite my teeth together, extend my right arm, and somebody leans on with all their weight, I can support them. But if I bite my teeth together, bring my left arm out, my weak side, all I have to do is press on it a bit, and I can't resist it. That's how misaligned the body can be. But as soon as you put a bite block on that left side, in the second bicuspid molar region, have the patient bite on it, they are equally as strong on both sides because the brain is getting a different set of information. So this is, you know, the patented unilateral bite block system. It's been patented for more than 15 years. And it does some pretty amazing things. See, the, uh, the dentistry world believes that you need to balance everything. I objected to that from day one. Why? There is nobody on this planet that chews on both sides at the same time. Nobody. You chew on one side, and then you chew on the other side. And this is what the body understands. So why not have a support on one side? And that's exactly what I do. You're right. It, it's been a very difficult bridge to build, you know, to, to understand this connection between the head, posture, the spine. It, it, there are very few kind of um, discussions between, you know, potential body workers that are doing manipulations on the, the cervical and, um, and other vertebrae. Yet the, the occlusion is clearly connected to how any issue through the spine works. It is absolutely, it's, it's pretty crazy really when you think about that there hasn't been a connection, but it, it is quite complex as well. So it, it makes sense that it's, it's taking a bit of time and someone as brilliant as yourself to, to start to put it all together, right? Ted, the, we're talking about uh, when the system is going wrong, when the brain cannot um, equilibrate with uh, what where it is in space. How is this happening? What what are the 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 um, architectural issues with the bones of the jaw that are happening that that are pu is pushing the system off? We've mentioned kind of the the postural and breathing aspects of it. What are the the, the bony architectural problems That's that you're seeing in the scan? Wonderful, wonderful question, Steve. Because let's understand how this all works. First of all, the middle of the face, the upper jaw, is two bones. It's made up of two bones. And the way those bones grow is they grow off your cranial base, downward and forward. Now, they're two separate bones. So if one bone doesn't grow as well as the other, one of those bones is going to be upward and backward. And that means your jaw is going to be misaligned. And furthermore, the central bone, the key is the central bone of the skull called the sphenoid. I, I know you're really interested in the sphenoid. You've written on the sphenoid. So what happens when, that, when all of this is misaligned, the sphenoid, the central bone, is also misaligned. And the jaw hangs off that bone. So we need to basically get the body, and the body can do this by stimulating, using epigenetic orthodontic stimulation, which is what I do. 
we can get the jaw to grow to generate symmetry. I've been peer-reviewed and published on that. We can generate symmetry. We can align the sphenoid. We align the jaw, and then we have a chance with improving the whole postural element. Now, let's go a little further. Remember, we talked about when the tongue is in the airway, the head comes forward. Well, the key to getting the head back, number one, is to get the tongue up against the palate so that the tongue, the back of the tongue, base of the tongue, comes out of the airway. The tongue has to go up against the palate. But also, all that breathing, pressurizing the airway, opening up the airway, I'm going to demonstrate. And I hope you folks at home try this. I was talking about exhaling with resistance because that's what the body wants. So simply enough, at home, when you breathe in through your nose, you're going to breathe out through your mouth slowly, but you're going to do it with resistance by pursing your lips. And while you do that, by the way, while you're breathing out with resistance, you're expanding your airway. When you expand your airway, you're increasing the body's range of motion. So what I'm going to ask you folks to do when you breathe in and breathe out that way is to bring your head back, bring your shoulders back, and you'll watch your posture come in to where it's supposed to be. So simply, you breathe in through your nose, and then out through your mouth. Now I'm where I'm supposed to be. So it's the posture of the airway, the development of the airway, the, the tone of the airway, expanding the airway, improving the tongue posture, all of this has everything to do with our overall body posture. And going back to how we, we the, the head and how it forms, describe how we, um, because you, you mentioned the technology, so what your, the way you use your um, appliance to change people's jaw in certain cases so you take a cbct scan you see the airway is collapsing in certain areas and they're having these sleep symptoms then you're using uh an, an epigenetic appliance to grow the the patient's um jaw and airway what are you seeing on those scans how did you come to that discovery about the the, the <laughs> and what were you actually doing to kind of help people see the connection there well, there's, there's, some, there's tremendous logic to how we develop the airway. We don't, I mean, uh, growing, what I was lucky enough to stumble on uh, was how I can grow the jaw and grow the airway. But that's not enough. What we understand today, there are key muscles of the body that maintain the airway. Remember, it's the collapsibility of the airway at night. That's the big issue. So the largest muscle of the body that maintains the airway is that base of the tongue, the genioglossus. And when you clench, that muscle is designed for sticking your tongue out. So when you clench, the tongue comes forward. So the first thing about my appliance is you can clench on that block and there's room in the front. You have a block on one side. So there's room for the tongue to come forward. So when you clench, the tongue can come forward. When your teeth are together, the tongue wants to come forward. It can't. It develops little scallops along the side of the tongue because it's trying so hard to come forward. It can't. The other thing is a muscle from the hyoid bone. You understand when you swallow, that jumps up and down. Well, all these muscles under here, the biggest one, which goes from the hyoid to inside of the mandible called the geniohyoid, that is the key muscle for maintaining the airway to pre prevent it from collapsing. 
So I, I started to say before, we have a classic diagram of the male OSA patient. That same patient has forward head posture and a low hyoid because this musculature is not developed and toned. How do we tone it and develop it? With the simple, that daytime appliance, when you swallow, the tongue has to travel twice as far, lifting this to get to the palate. So a couple of hours a day, we're literally toning the muscles under here, toning the back of the tongue, and then at night, we're growing the airway bigger, growing the jaw bigger. It's a one-two punch. It makes total sense. Ted, there's just a question popped up here about the um, the genial glossus muscle that, um, and you may or may not have you know used this, but have you seen any any benefits in releasing um, oh, the, the genial sure. glossus muscle? Yeah. So um, actually, when you do a, a comb beam scan and you look at the tongue posture, nine times out of ten, if that tongue is not resting up against the palate where it belongs, that patient has an issue. Uh, with the uh, the the, um, uh, the uh, possibly needing a, a, a frenum issue and possibly needing a tongue tie release. So yes, of course, we send that patient to the myofunctional therapist. Uh, they get trained in in uh, tongue exercises. The patient then goes for a uh, genoglossus release, a tongue release and then comes back to the myofunctional therapy for more uh, therapy. But when they wear that little daytime appliance, after the surgery, the tongue traveling so far prevents scarring, uh, and it helps to work with the myofunctional therapist to have the patient heal correctly. So that's all part of the program. Tongue release is huge. And by the way, if you... Um, uh, <laughs> dissecting the base of the tongue, it's not just a genioglossus. Because the fascia that connects to the tongue, literally, if you were to dissect it, it goes all the way down to your feet. So basically, you're, you're doing a genioglossus release. You're doing a fascial release. It's huge. Um, releasing the tongue, getting the tongue to function properly is huge in breathing. Huge. You can't ask bigger. There's just a question also on this topic, um, Marie has asked, and this is just, it, it, you were talking a little bit about it, but um, you said about pre-surgical uh, intervention. So Marie has asked, how do we correct a tongue tie without surgical intervention? Can that be done? And what are the, the kind of, it's a well, little bit. Every, every patient is, is, is different. But if you clearly, I mean, you know, we know how to look at the tongue. Uh, if, when we bring the tongue up behind, the tip of the tongue up behind the front teeth, uh, if you try to open your mouth as far as you can, if you cannot open at least 50% of the way, of, of your full opening when you don't have your tongue, how far can you open, period? And then how far can you open with your tongue behind your front teeth? If you cannot open 50%, you need a release. There's no, there's no uh, way to correct it. And, and why? The surgery is not a big deal. The good news is that this surgery, if it's particularly if it's an anterior uh, uh, tongue tie, is they can do it with a scissor for God's sakes. So it's not a big deal, and it might sound frightening surgery, but the results are so wonderful for the patient. Um, I, I do uh, an evaluation of the, like I mentioned, we look at the narrowest point of the airway, 
before treatment and after treatment. Those folks that we do tongue releases on who begin to now reposition their tongue, they get absolutely the best results. They can improve their airway up to 50%. And we're talking about the t- and the muscles you were speaking of here. So there's a very complex set of muscles that tone and support this this area when you're sleeping. And, and so this is what it is a very kind of, um, you know, complete way to to get these muscles to work in harmony. Ted, there's just one more question here I just wanted to, to cover um, just in general terms. that So Luna Soul has asked, um, any advice on changing from a mouth breather to more prominent breathing through the nose? I feel like I'm slightly suffocating, can't get enough air. Well, uh, the simplest thing is learning how to get your tongue up against the palate. So you can try it out there. If you put your tongue up against your palate, you can't breathe through your mouth. It's impossible. So that's the key. So what I do, I have this little appliance. We put it in, sits on the lower jaw, has a little bite block. And then I put a little piece of sugarless gum on the middle of the tongue. And I tell the patient, lift that up and press it up against the palate and hold it there for six hours. (laughs) So... You know, not every, I, I seriously doubt that everybody does it. But the idea is if you try hard enough and you hold that piece of gum, why, you know, you can swallow without swallowing the gum. You're holding that gum there. And while your tongue's up there, you can't be breathing through your mouth. I'm sorry, it's impossible. So, you know, you need to train the body. The body has a whole list of habits. What my functional therapy is, is changing bad habits into good habits. So even without my appliance, folks, take a little piece of gum, sugarless gum, put it in the middle of your tongue, hold it up against your palate all day long. Take it out when you're eating. (laughs) But, you know, this is extremely helpful for uh, changing a uh, mouth breather into a nasal breather. It's a complete muscle, Tony. And, you know, the the thing that people need to remember, too, is that the homunculus, which is the, the area of the brain, that um, that controls a lot of the motor movement of your muscles is a very large part that, uh, that that is dedicated to the tongue. So when you start using your tongue, well, these airway muscles begin to tone automatically, and then you're beginning to hold your airway open better um, in the long term. So it, it, it's what you're describing quite well, Ted. So there's something to really understand, and that's the head posture issue. So and also for swallowing, there's two two things you have to understand muscles have antagonists so in other words when you when your head is forward if you're a dentist for example you're working like this and to hold your head up the upper trapezius and the SEM muscles would hold your head up and the upper trapezius is the key because the antagonist to the upper trapezius muscle are the suprahyoid muscles all the muscles under here that you want to tone so literally for us dentists Literally, you got to get back. You got to lift your arms up, get that trapezius working. You know, yeah. drop your arms, lift them up, get them back, get the circulation going in your trapezius. Do your breathing, get your head back. Because if you don't, if this muscle is tense, these muscles are all weak. That's number. Uh, that's a, a key key factor uh, in understanding. Now, as far as swallowing, the antagonist muscles for swallowing. We talked about the genioglossus. The genioglossus, we mentioned, brings the tongue forward. 
But just under the surface of the tongue, we have the styloglossus. That's the chief swallowing muscle. And guess what? That brings the tongue back and up. It also lifts the sides of the tongue to take the bolus of food for swallowing. Hmm. Guess what? They're antagonists. So whatever you do to improve the genioglossus, you're also helping your swallowing with your styloglossus. It, it's it's amazing, isn't it? And it, you mentioned um, dentists, and, and most people have these issues where they, their work, you know, needs them to lean forward and look down at, at computers and so True. forth. Today it's but a pandemic. A literal pandemic. And, you know, I've experienced that myself, especially the last few years. We've had a very busy clinic and been um, I suffered from neck pain and I was getting um, neuralgias mm-hmm. down my arm. Releasing those muscles you were describing, so releasing the tension in the um, in the shoulders, uh, you know, the back of the shoulder blades, the rhomboids and so forth, and getting the tension out of the neck and supporting spinal posture was life-changing in terms of how I could actually begin to to use this area better. I, I felt I was breathing better because me, my entire skeletal system was yeah, let me add Let me add one thing to help you, <laughs> hopefully. We were designed as we evolved to be hunter-gatherers. We can keep our eye on the prey, and our body can do anything to hunt. We can do whatever. We are designed to have our head decoupled from the rest of our cervical spine. That's C1. That's where the rotation takes place. That is critical. And as a dentist, you're stuck in this position for hours. You're not moving your head in all directions the way nature designed you to. So with that, Stephen, I recommend you're down, up, and then you do that about five, ten times, then to the side and the other side and then around. All of these things to decouple the head from the cervical spine. Mm. Key, along with everything else that you're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, it really does relate to, um, you know, pe- people on this journey to get their, their airway better because if they're, they're turning and getting movement in these, um, you know, in, in, in these areas and, and freeing up some of the, the tension in these, um, in, in these antagonist muscles as well, it, it, it helps a lot, doesn't it? Let's go there. You know, like you said, people are working on their computer all day, they're on their cell phone, they're on their tablet, or they're a dentist looking down into the mouth. The way we're designed is to breathe with our abdomen. When we're leaning forward, we can't do that. So the reason you had that neck pain, my friend, is you can't use your breathing muscles correctly. You're now using muscles to lift your chest to breathe. And the key muscles that a dentist uses are in their neck to lift lift the thorax to breathe. You have no choice. So that's why that strain that takes place in your neck, that plus the head forward. Uh, Yeah. So how we breathe, how we use our breathing system is totally critical. And by the way, like I said, we're very often in a state of compensation. If you, see, if you look in the mirror very carefully, stand up straight, is one shoulder higher? Is one shoulder rotated furthermore or forward? That means that your body is in a state of compensation using that side to breathe. So there is unequal, it's unequal in here. Hmm. You've got two lobes of lung on your left and you've got three lobes of lung on your right. 
Your body rotates in an axis. I mean, there is nothing symmetrical in here. Up here, it's beautiful. It's very easy to understand, totally symmetrical. But in your body, it's not at all symmetrical. And very often, we're in a state of compensation, particularly with our breathing. Now, understand this. Once you lose your cervical lordosis in your spine, because your head is forward, your spine's supposed to be curved. But if your head is forward, you lose that curve. When you lose that curve, you also, your pelvis rotates and you lose the curvature in your lower spine. Now you've got back pain. And by the way, it's more than that. Well, we're probably not aware that the thoracic diaphragm and the pelvic diaphragm work together. And that's critical for falling asleep at night. Those two diaphragms work together. And if you lose, you get that pelvic rotation, you're losing the synchronization of your thoracic and pelvic diaphragm. That affects your thoracic diaphragm. It's not functioning as well as it could. And there's a lot of reasons why the posturally why the thoracic diaphragm doesn't function optimally. We could go on and on and on. Everybody's different, but it's, it's very posturally linked. The big problem, in, and I think in our profession today, is nobody's talking about how the head sits on the cervical spine. Critical, probably, arguably, the most important part in your whole body. And nobody's talking about it. You will, I know. I know you're going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, the as you say, um, it's certainly kind of your because you've been looking at this airway and, and breathing issue up here and it's led you there, right? It's, it's, it showed you that the body is kind of connected to everything that's happening in the development of, of the face and the jaw. And, you know, I feel that this is where it's, you know, all these, because the dental industry has been talking about the airway for 20, 30 years now, but it hasn't connected it well to the rest of the body. You know, you, you've just described how the, the two diaphragms work together when you sleep. That That's not very well known knowledge. Can, can you describe that a little bit, how like dysfunction in the thoracic di diaphragm? Oh, yeah. So this is, how do we fall asleep at night? We fall asleep by lowering our cortisol and raising our melatonin level. Well, what, what raises the melatonin level? Well, that's the signal to the pineal gland, which is your friend, to raise that melatonin level is in the cerebrospinal fluid. The cerebrospinal fluid is what stimulates the pineal to release the melatonin. How do you get the cerebrospinal fluid up there? It's how you breathe. When you're using the pelvic diaphragm, when you breathe from your abdomen, and when you're breathing in, you're pushing your stomach, your abdomen out, what are you doing? You're not only lowering your thoracic, you're lowering your pelvic diaphragm, which pulls on the second sacral vertebrae and the, and the fascia around it and sends the cerebrospinal fluid up to your pineal gland. So before you go to bed tonight, bed tonight, you do those breathing exercises that I just showed you. Breathe in from down below your belly button here and breathe out with resistance through your lips and the resistance and the slow exhale is going to lower your cortisol. And your abdominal breathing is going to raise your melatonin. This is the way the body's designed to work. So if you're not functioning correctly, you're not sleeping well. You're not even falling asleep. <laughs> I just want to add something Something we, we talked about before, that the, the pineal gland sits in the, the sphenoid 
bone or, or is very closely related to the sphenoid bone. So symmetry here is related to how you're breathing, how you're sending that message that you just described. And that's where the, the neurotransmitter melatonin will be converted from its daytime form um, serotonin. And, and so it's physically connected and it's chemically connected. All of these things are, are, are coming together absolutely beautifully. It, it's amazing to hear you describe it like that, Ted. I've just been working on this for 20 years nonstop. Yeah. And so that's why <laughs> I never stop. I, I just continually learn more. And uh, now I'm treating, since I'm popular, I'm treating like, you know, an enormous amount of patients uh, virtually. And every patient I treat, I learn from. So this is uh, my advantage of, of treating patients and learning from the patients I'm treating. And of course, reading and studying and learning. Tell us, there are people that are asking about your, your device. So, so what's your the device you use? Um, there's a couple that you've mentioned. Can you describe that just so that they know um, if there's providers near them or if they can contact you? Sure. Uh, the device I, uh, I developed um, so many years ago is called a homeoblock. Um, and that's the, the, the nighttime appliance. You just wear it 8 to 10 hours. You put it in when you go to sleep at night. Take it out in the morning. Uh, you only wear it at night because uh, between three in the afternoon, eight in the morning is when the body has growth hormone in your blood. Uh, now, what about during the day? It seems everybody's forgotten about that. We're still breathing during the day. So in July 2019, the FDA cleared our little appliance, which has a little, it's called preventive oral device. If you Google pod, you'll never find anything because the pod is a popular name, but we've got a trademark, but it's the preventive oral device, the preventive oral device. It's a simple little device for the lower. And that's so helpful that during the day, you can actually assist yourself uh, in improving your airway. Work at it. You can literally work at it. And literally, we're using it when you work out is brilliant. It works really well for you. Yeah, I've worn one. It it does it, it helps a lot, and you, you feel the the kind of homeostasis um, in your you know, the, your brain is sensing from your jaw. It really it's it's such a simple yet effective way, uh, and 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 people really kind of you know they've never really experienced that, that balance in in the the jaw. So it's 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 and and you're right that no one's really the very few um, approaches have looked at um, supporting one side of of the head in and bite instead of you know the whole thing together because it's true you don't chew on on one side you uh, sorry you don't chew on both sides you chew on one well furthermore none of us are capable of standing for any length of time with our weight equally distributed maybe if you're trained on both sides we don't do that and by the way the shifting of the weight is very significant of course all our muscles, all our bones are designed to move all the time. When I went to school, they taught me that in late adulthood, all these bones in my cranium all fused. Well, if, it, if that were the case, if our sphenoid wasn't moving, if all these bones weren't moving when we were breathing, the cerebrospinal fluid would not be cleaning the amyloid plaque, and we'd all be suffering from dementia. So we need to activate, and by the way, this, you can love this. 
There's re recent research pub published in the Journal of Orthodontics and Dentofacial Orthopedics, August 2018. They, 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 uh, they did the research on the mammal, a pig. They made a device to send cyclical signalings to two sutures, two cranial sutures, the, uh, the frontal palatine suture, and I'm sorry, two, but I just remembered one, just the frontal palatine and one other suture. And the research showed that that signaling went to every cranial suture and that the strain, that signaling created um, rotation at the suture, rotations at the, and strain at the sutures. And the result was widening of the cranial sutures and mineralization. This is exactly what we need to remain healthy. And that's what the homeoblock appliance does. Every time you bring your teeth together onto that appliance, what you're doing is, by the way, you're sending a vibration into the interstitial fluid in the bone. And when you bite on it, you're creating strain. Strain is the key word. All the research shows that the way you generate new bone growth, you must have strain. You can't hit both nice and balanced like we're taught in dentistry. Just the opposite. You need strain on the cranial sutures to develop the sutural system to activate the undifferentiated mesenchymal cells that live there, those stem cells into bone cells, and to strain the periosteum, which generates osteoblasts, which grow more bone. And by the way, the faces changes that you generate and the sutural changes also relate to development in the airway. I can explain that, but that would really be boring. <laughs> <laughs> There's never a dull moment with you, Ted. You're definitely sending vibrations out to the world. So, you know, I've got to thank you for all the work you do. And, you know, we really need to um, – I'm thinking we've got to really kind of make a make a, a really detailed video on all this stuff because um, there's, there's our conversations always go in, in lots of different directions, and it, but it's always fascinating. Ted, where can people find you if, they, if they'd like to book an appointment or if they'd like to find out more about your appliances? Uh, I have a website uh, called Dr. – TheodoreBelfour.com, Dr. Theodore, B-E-L-F-O-R.com. If we, they go on the website, they can access me uh, easily on the website. They can learn a heck of a lot more about what I do on the website. Uh, we welcome uh, our, all those visits on the website. Come on yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as you say, you, you've become, your work has become quite popular in the last, last few years, which is which is just a testament to how important it is. So, look, I want to thank you, Dr. Belfort, so much for spending the time with me today. I'm looking forward to doing this again and meeting again in person back in, in New York City. I, I welcome that. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's hope, let's hope we can all travel soon. Absolutely, in the not-too-distant yes. future. All right, Doctor, stay well and thank you and until you next too. time. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you learned something and you've got a takeaway that you can apply to your own life or to a loved one. If you did enjoy today's show, you can help us get the word out by leaving a review on iTunes. It helps others to find the podcast, or you can also share directly to a friend. For more information, you can join my mailing list at drstephenlin.com or follow along at social media on Instagram at drstephenlin and Facebook, facebook.com slash drstephenlin. I really look forward to sharing more of the mouth-brain connection with you next week. Music.